This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock bands on Freeza Geese. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreaks, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you're able to check out last week's episode where I gave a full rundown of the first two stops on Umphreys McGee's Spring Plan B Tour. That's a mouthful to try to get out. April 30th and May 1st at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in Atlanta, Georgia. And May 7th and 8th at Westville Music Bowl in New Haven, Connecticut. If you missed that and want to give it a listen, there are links in the show notes where you will find it. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to first talk about the virtual poster art silent auction sponsored by Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company, kicking off June 7th at noon Eastern. Proceeds from this poster auction will go to the Umphreys crew and also to Backline, a not-for-profit organization that connects music industry professionals with mental health and wellness providers. They were founded last year during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when live music was all shut down. I threw a link to their organization in the show notes if you wanted to check them out a little bit more. This is the third silent auction that we've done for the crew. The first two back in the fall of 2020 and then earlier this year, we were able to pull in almost $6,000 for the Umphreys crew I think that's pretty damn incredible, and it says a lot about how awesome this community is, and I want to thank everybody who participated in the silent auction in some way, uh, donated an item, uh, bid on something, um, shared it on social media, any way that you supported uh, those auctions. I'm so grateful. Um, I love doing that kind of stuff, so it was great to bring those skills that I have Um, in the field of fundraising over to this and something that I love and to support some people that are important to me. So thank you again to everybody um, that supported and donated and participated. You guys are super, super rad. This auction includes poster art from James Flames, Jeff Wood, AJ Matsey, Jim Pollock and more. And side note, James Flames was actually a guest on the show. Um, if you missed that, can't think of the number off the top of my head, uh, but I'll throw some links in the show notes if you missed that massive two-part uh, conversation that I had with him. That was really, 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 really good. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the poster auction. 
Um, I'm very, very excited to kick this off and for everyone to see the art that is up for grabs. You guys are going to be like, holy shit, yes. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun. And as I said, that's happening Monday, June 7th at noon Eastern and ends at 11.59 p.m. on Monday, June 28th. So that gives you a chance to go to Red Rocks and come back um, if that's what you're doing. Um, more details are coming about the auction, so stay tuned to social media or check out the new DATCmedia.com for more. An exciting announcement to pass along to you in case you missed it. Late last week, overnight from May 27th into the 28th, Umphreys dropped the first single, Leave Me Las Vegas, from their upcoming new album, You Walked Up Shaking in Your Boots, But You Stood Tall and Left a Raging Bull. Ugh, I love everything about the title of this album. Every time I read it, I feel like I love it more. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, this new instrumental album comprised of some of the walkout tunes they've written over the years will be released July 16th. The official announcement from the band reads, The feeling of those shared experiences has been sorely missed. The physical community displaced, longing for that connection together. Born from the live experience... Forged from the pandemic, that desire to be together served as the impetus for this record. The irony isn't lost on us that it took a year of home isolation to record a studio album inspired by live use. Recorded from afar, one by one, none of us together for a single note of the recording. You walked up shaking in your boots, but you stood tall and left a raging bull is an album designed to put the wheels in motion to get up and get after it. Every time I read that, it gives me goosebumps. Ah, such a powerful title. I love it so much. I don't know about you, but I am damn excited about this. I'm sure you can tell. I love the studio treatment that Leave Me Las Vegas has gotten, and I can't wait to hear what else is in store which apparently those will be released over the coming weeks leading up to the release date to the folks that pre-order. The other walkout tunes that will be on the album are Cat Shot, No Crying in Mexico, Depth Charge, You Got the Wrong Guy, Tango Mike, Nipple Tricks, La Blitz, La Sack, Gurgle, Restrung, and October Rain. You can stream Leave Me Las Vegas now and can pre-save the album on your streaming platform of choice. You can also pre-order the album now. There are a few different offerings, including one of 300 limited edition vinyl deluxe bundles. Those include some pretty cool shit. There are also long sleeves, just the vinyl. I believe there's a CD. There's a couple of different offerings um, for you to choose from. But you'll find links for everything you need for You Walked Up Shaking in Your Boots, But You Stood Tall and Left a Raging Bull in the show notes. Looking for a new way to stream your music or listen to your favorite podcasts? Check out this exclusive offer for DATC listeners. 
Head to getamazonmusic.com slash dropped among this crowd to receive a 30-day free trial of Amazon Music. That's getamazonmusic.com slash D-R-O-P-P-E-D-A-M-O-N-G-T-H-I-S-C-R-O-W-D to get a 30-day free trial and unlimited access to 70 million songs, always ad-free on Amazon Music. This week, I am pleased to welcome Umphreys McGee drummer Chris Myers to the show. Chris and I were finally able to get our schedules to sync up a few months back. I think it was March, maybe. Yeah, like early March-ish. And we got to sit down and virtually talk about a shit ton of topics. Like we talked about his studio in Nashville and having the band there back in February for Wrapped Around Nashville. Also, quick side note, if you want to hear more about Wrapped Around Nashville, check out episode 138 for a full recap of the three nights back in February. There is a link in the show notes for that. Also, inside the pages of March's issue of Conduit Magazine, a massive multi-page review of the shows with a whole bunch of full-color pictures thanks to Keith Griner. If you missed that, there are a few available on the show's store on Etsy, DATC Media, or on our website, datcmedia.com. There are links for both of those in the show notes as well. We talk about Kick the Cat. Chris takes us on a history of the band's formation and what they've been up to and plan to do in 2021. Their new album, Gurgle, is available June 25th. I will throw a link in the show notes where you can pre-order. I believe pre-order is still open for that. Um, And where you can also listen to them on Spotify or follow on social We also talk about his Tasty Tuesdays segment that he was doing last year. Some of his other projects, like Goodnight Nurse Publishing. I misspoke in the conversation at first and said productions, but it's Goodnight Nurse Publishing. (laughs) Chris also tells us more about the company and what his plans are with that creative outlet. And we also talk about how... The different things that he has going on is helpful in approaching his craft in a different way. Chris also talks a little bit about his history with music, growing up, and what inspired him to play drums. He talks about teaching virtual lessons in 2020 and the experiences that he's had in the past teaching. He tells me the first album that left an impact on his life what bands influenced him, and what it's like playing drums and singing at the same time, and what songs that he likes to play and sing. We also talk about The Police and the Halloween 2019 show where they all dressed up as cops and what he's currently listening to. He also talks about the best live shows that he's ever seen He gives us a little peek into his post-show ritual. We also talk about other musicians like Neil Peart, Phil Collins, 
Peter Gabriel, Genesis, Jason Bonham, the list goes on. I mean, we talk about a lot. (laughs) You'll find links for all of the things Chris and I talk about in the show notes because there's a lot of those too. And there is also video of my chat with Chris that you can watch on the show's YouTube page if that is more your thing. And with this week's episode release, I have been fortunate enough to have each member of Umphreys McGee on my show now. Something that honestly never even crossed my mind is happening with having the show. Like it was never even something I thought would happen. You know, maybe I have like Joel and Ryan on, you know, maybe Bayless, but like I've had everybody on the show and that's really, really cool. I think it's really awesome. So I want to say thank you to each of the guys in Umphreys McGee for being kind enough to take the time and be a guest on the show and answer all of my questions and being such a supporter of this art that I have created for the community. So thank you so much to each of you. You guys are incredible and I really appreciate your support. If you missed any of the other episodes that featured members of the band, there are links in the show notes for those and check out the YouTube page because my chat with Bayless and one of the ones with Stasic, um, those are up on the show's channel. So if you want to watch the video of that, check it out. And that Bayless video is definitely more raw than the audio because it was done in the middle of the summer during the height of the pandemic and we were both home with three kids and multiple humorous interruptions. So (laughs) just a reminder of what us parents deal with from day to day. (laughs) Anyway, um, shout out and thank you to Chris for taking the time. I know you have a lot going on with a ton of projects, so I really appreciate you taking the time and answering all my questions because seriously, I ask a lot of questions. So thank you for answering everything. I really appreciate it. It was really a pleasure to finally meet you like this. We've met in passing over the years, but it was great to meet you like this and spend some time with you and and talking to you and learning a little bit more about you. So thank you so much, Chris. It was really a pleasure. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that would make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit Magazine, commercial spots here on this podcast and other podcasts across our network, and so much more, Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company can help you reach tons of fellow umfreaks, 
musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow um family. Check out our website, datcmediacompany.com, or email sarah at datcmediacompany.com. That's S-A-R-A at D-A-T-C-M-E-D-I-A-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y dot com if you're interested in chatting more. So here is my chat with Umphreys McGee drummer, Chris Myers. Hey, nice to have you on the show. This is awesome. Thank you for your time. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. It's been a while. Yes, it has. And uh, you're one of the first interviews in my new studio. I actually made a little oh. studio in my basement. So, oh, good job. That's awesome. <laughs> not as cool as your space, though. So, let's start with that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the experience of putting a studio in your home? I think when I moved here, the idea was to find a home already with a studio in it. And and you know you can get that here in Nashville quite often. Uh, unfortunately, I did not find that. Uh, I was searching at some houses um, in Mount Juliet, uh, just in the outer eastern areas of of, of Nashville area, and uh, the east side. I was, I was checking out some houses with studios. It just wasn't quite right with what I needed. And then you know my engineer friend Greg Majors had uh, suggested to me to find a house. I can build the studio the way I want it with the right specs. And so I found a house in, in Bellevue um, where I was able to have a, a, a certain room with high ceilings, good dimensions. And then like, I could just find a contractor uh, that builds, you know, home studios and have him build it out in a more, you know, custom made way. And that's what I did. So I was able to, you know, have that, kind of fall together literally you know over the course of the year and a half after moving and i've been continuing to build and add to it but uh you know i was able to definitely get a great foundation for a studio the way i wanted it and for drummers you want to have a nice big open room um and i also wanted to have a place where i wasn't completely focused on recording all the time and just having like all the isolated booths the way you want to have it in a studio um i just wanted to have a nice you know, um, renovated room for mainly rehearsals and recording drums and other instruments when needed, but more about the aesthetic pleasure of doing video shoots, uh, you know, any kind of, um, you know, rehearsals for any level player or artist. Yeah. And it all kind of worked out. So yeah, I'm really stoked. I'm really happy that it turned out. And it, it proved to be a really uh, good thing to have considering the circumstances of what's oh, yeah. going on with live music absolutely yeah i mean it, it was like it's like you know my saving grace i think when it came to uh you know definitely uh this time right now it's a tough time so for you know, sure. i was happy to i was happy to, to be able to play and record for people and keep myself busy yeah i bet so talk a little bit about having everyone there a couple weeks ago um, it must have been yeah. nice to just all be together, but to be able to host everybody there must have been a really awesome feeling. Yeah, it was amazing. It was great to have everyone finally at the at the place all at once. I mean, I've had a couple guys from the band over, you know, 
individually and stuff, but I haven't had everyone all together. And obviously the studio was also built with the intention to have everyone over to do projects or streams or whatever. So yeah, it was finally, you know, the day had come and uh, that week had come and I'm, I'm very happy that it worked out. Yeah. Yeah, we are too, for sure. It was really nice to watch you guys all play together. Yeah, thanks. It was great. Yeah. And Kick the Cat's been doing a bunch of stuff there too, and just in general. So talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing and what you guys are doing moving forward in 2021. Yeah, for sure. So um, Kick the Cat has reunited. It was a band that I had started with as far back as uh, my college days at Elmhurst College and uh, joined up with Chris Siebold, who was my college mate at the time, who's uh, an incredible guitar player. Um, even then he was. And um, he asked me to join this band, Kick the Cat. And that was back in 97. And uh, I joined and we worked on some load budget recordings and we did a couple of few things here and there, video sessions, some local gigs in Chicago. And then we eventually, uh, you know, started playing at like Martyrs, you know, we, we played at places prior to that, like, um, that don't really exist anymore. There was a place called the Lion's Den we used to play, which used to be located off of Irving Park, Lincoln and Damon, uh, which is in the city in the north side for all the Chicagoans out there. And uh, yeah, we basically uh, played any kind of club date we could and some radio shows and college, you know, campuses and stuff. Um, and then I uh, changed my path and went with Humphreys McGee uh, starting in 2003 and left Kick the Cat. And uh, Tom Hipskin, who's a famous drummer, a session player in Chicago, filled in for me uh, from that point. And moving forward, I was, of course, touring with, with Humphreys and still am. And um, basically the last... I mean, I played on and off with the band, reuniting with them since 2010 or 12. And then we've been kind of working on music since then in the studio. And um, I, at that time, I had moved to L.A. for a little bit and for a few years. And now I moved to, to Nashville and we continue to record and work on things. And now we have finally uh, put together a new album that's going to be released in June. And we decided to maybe get this going again. And so we're starting to work on new, you know, a new video content and, uh, you know, a new presence overall. So, uh, yeah, it's been, they've been my longtime friends too. I've been playing with those guys, with the Kick the Cat guys, like, you know, since college and, and just throughout my years. Uh, and they're like homies of mine, you know, like I've known them for a long time. So it's really serendipitous that we're, we're doing this you know yeah. back together it's got to be nice to revisit that you know it's a different uh different outfit too you're you're playing different music so it's got to be nice to kind of have another outlet yes it is at least i'd like to think that you know especially during covid yeah got to keep playing you know yeah absolutely well something non-music that you've been doing you did the tasty Tuesdays with Chris. So talk about the reason why you did those and if that's something that you're going to keep doing and what you want to do in the future. Tasty Tuesdays is just more or less a, a hobby of mine. 
I just enjoy cooking and um, trying to learn new recipes and, and just even quick little bites and things like that. It doesn't have to be like a full on recipe. And I don't by any means, you know, call myself like a, a you know, not even an amateur level cook. I just do what I do and I enjoy it. It's for good, healthy living and are a good reminder of that to cook, you know, while at home and during COVID, taking off the COVID-15 and all that stuff. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just trying to find ways to uh, keep myself active with doing other non-musical things as well. Yeah. And it's just a quick, it's a quick thing, you know, like a, a quick snippet of ideas to cook and put together these uh, ingredients. It's not like I'm getting really in detail with it, you know, I just, just send off to the world a, you know, a new recipe that's quick and easy and good enough. Nice. I <laughs> so. like it. I like it. It's fun. It's a different side of you. I like it. Yeah, it's my bachelor uh, approach. My yeah, cooking. <laughs> nice. So. Nice. Yeah. Well, something else that you're you kind of got in the works too is your night nurse production company so talk about publishing, yeah. that publishing yes um talk about that and what you've got planned with that too yeah sure i mean i this has been a long-term investment and in something i've been enjoying just also another another hobby so it's, if you if you will but but i am um curating this music to put it together for the uh the purpose of tv film and video games um, if at all possible. And we have already done a few things. We've done a few like particular uh, uh, cues and things for different entities. We did something for a, a formula uh, for Pirelli Racing. It's a Formula One racing company. Um, and we did a, we actually had an advertisement for a promo ad for a 3D uh, camera, 360 degree camera uh, that was on, on the market for a while. Um, we were supposed to uh, be the main promo, but I think it got bought out by Drake at that time, and Drake ended up making his own music to it. But we have opportunities, and we've done things, um, and we just updated about 126 new uh, samples of, of music just to put on our website, and I'm going to do an official launch soon, soon. so stay tuned for that, because it'll be all the greatest hits that everyone wants to hear. So that's no, great. I love it. You've just got all sorts of different things happening. Uh, yeah, it's how, that's how we do here. You know, we got to gotta keep chugging along, you know. For sure. Got to keep yourself busy and there's nothing wrong with it. It gives you, again, different ways to create. Yeah, it does. It's, it actually does give you different ways to create, different ways to uh, approach, you know, your craft because like, Music licensing is different. It's more about the score-based approach to making music without maybe a melody, perhaps, and just more about soundscapes or sound design. Make something very minimal. You hear just a really cool uh, and modern kind of bass line going with a, a sequence that's made out of a you know a drum beat production oriented thing. Something just real minimal, and it builds very slowly through a scene of a of a TV show. That's a that's definitely um, an art in itself and it's good to to shift gears and do that and get away from like the typical you know artist release where there's a song with a melody and solos and interplay between a band 
sometimes just playing music strictly for score or for any particular thing from even a commercial to a movie or, or like a video game. You know, it's very specific about the genre and the feel. And it's not always in musical terms. It's just more pr about production. And it's good to have that kind of um, skill as a drummer and even as a composer uh, in general. I think it's really cool to hone in on that in your craft through doing stuff like that. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah, very cool. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about being a kid. Um, real quick, I know a lot of people know your basic information, but, you know, give us a little like cliff notes of, you know, where you're from, you know, your family, where you went to school, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, well, I was born in Elmhurst, Illinois, and um, I grew up by age three, we had moved. We lived in Elk Grove Village briefly when I was around one or two years old. And then by about age three, I moved to Inverness, Illinois, which is the northwest suburb of Chicago near Palatine. Um, and I was there growing up throughout grade school and junior high and high school. Um, yeah, I went to Marion Jordan uh, grade school. Um, and then and that was in the 80s. And then, uh, then I went to uh, Plum Grove Junior High. And then I went to Friend High School. And that was up in the, until class of 95. Um, and then from there, went to Elmhurst College, got a scholarship uh, playing music. And back then, they didn't have jazz studies programs, per se. They did have programs, but they weren't supported officially as a, an actual degree um, in schools. So you would just have to do either Bachelor of not even Bachelor of Arts of Music. You would just do either music business or music education. And uh, I, I had to choose between those two and music, music business was my choice and took music business courses along with, you know, your gen eds and all that stuff. Um, I wasn't really quick on the draw in terms of music business uh, and my skills back then. Um, but, you know, over time, I just kind of got the hands-on experience as a player and learning how to work with people with contracts and things like that. You know, all the things that were important for an artist to learn anyway. And as long as I knew that, we were good. Um, but I had to, you know, do the degree. Um, and then they eventually changed to Bachelor of Arts Music to being, you know, available to someone who was not necessarily a music business person or a music education person. I was kind of in between in playing and touring with the Elmhurst College Jazz Band, which was a very, uh, very well-known uh, and noteworthy uh, big band and jazz program, jazz band, uh, throughout most of the colleges. Um, and it's directed by the uh, Grammy Award-winning uh, director, uh, Doug Beach, who's been a serious mentor of mine, you know, since the early development of my jazz playing and, and my professional career. And... Uh, to this day, I still seek advice from him and, you know, look up to him uh, as one of the greatest educators, you know, in the industry for that. And he taught me a lot, a lot of uh, lessons. And um, from there, I got a uh, master's degree in uh, jazz studies over at DePaul University. Again, jazz studies was finally offered to students by about 2000 that year, um, which was the time 
when things were just changing over from the old way, you know, the old degrees to the new. And that program just began as I just finished undergrad. And so I jumped into that. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a two year program. During that time, I was playing weddings and local corporate parties, bar mitzvahs, jobbing sort of things, you know, all throughout Chicago. Played in probably every hotel you can imagine in Chicago. Uh, had to wear the tux, you know, <laughs> slept the drums on a cart through the kitchen from the loading dock, you know, with the rats <laughs> you know, and all that. So it was, I learned a lot, you know, um, just from doing that alone. And, um, went from wearing a tux to joining a rock band on Freeze McGee, which happened in 2003. And uh, the rest is history. So mm -hmm. that's my history really with music and yeah, growing up in, in a suburban, you know, a suburban environment where there was actually a lot of players, a lot of young players I grew up with that were really talented. Um, I mean, it was the nineties in high school when I was starting to play more and like, you know, battle of the bands and, I mean, yes, I started as early as junior high with that, but then high school was playing like, you know, basement shows and, you know, VFW halls and doing punk rock shows, grunge shows, hard, I was doing the hard rock thing, played the professionally, my first venue gig at the, uh, what was the Gateway Theater, which became the Copernicus Theater on the uh, north side of Chicago. Um, I believe that's right. And then the Vic Theater. I played when I was in high school and back then it was still hair bands. This was right before grunge hit. So that was an interesting scene. And so I've been kind of around that neighborhood since like 91, 92, uh, where actually, you know, we've been in, in our office headquarters since then. And so, yeah, that's been it for me. Um, I've been learning a lot since then and, and just trying to, keep, you know, keep on keeping on here with the rock, you know, with, with Humphreys and, and touring continuously over the decades. Yeah. So. Yeah. So when did you start playing drums and what inspired you to start playing were your parents into music? Um, I started when I was eight. I started when I was eight years old and I basically, um, you know, I couldn't, um, uh, I mean, I got a drum set given to me by my uncle Bill. Basically, I was unaware of how to play anything. So I just kind of went that route and uh, just started listening to music on the radio and playing to the radio and playing to songs on a cassette tape or a record, a vinyl, you know, just play it in my basement and then I would play to it. So I self-taught myself at age eight. Um, for a few years I was playing and I joined up with a, with a local neighborhood friend um, and we started a band at age 12 called Iron Triangle, which was like, <laughs> yeah, that was like my rock trio, you know, hard rock. That was uh, your hard rock band name. I like it. Yeah. It so was, hardcore. <laughs> yeah. That was like very old school. And that was the thing to say, you know, iron something. And, um, <laughs> Uh, basically, yeah, we, <laughs> we did that and we, uh, and then, you know, from there I was learning how to, I got lessons. I started to take, take drum lessons at a local drum store at age 11 with, uh, Jim Strike, who was the owner of the famous, uh, drum store called the drum pad, which was in Palatine, Illinois. It was just very random that such a great store was available 
you know, in, in the suburban Chicago, I mean, there weren't really much like it, it to me, you know, and this is kind of even before guitar centers and stuff started popping up. So you had uh, access to great, good teachers and nice, you know, good drums, drum kits and, you know, uh, books and stuff like that to, uh, to learn for education. And I learned how to read music and learn how to read what I was playing after a while through good teachers there. Jim was my first teacher. And then I worked with a guy named Brad Schluter, um, who really developed my, my chops and brought me up to another level that was pretty crucial for me. Um, going into high school, learning the styles of music that was, you know, cool to play at that time. And then like learn, learning about the players at that time, which was a very explosive time in music in the nineties. I found early nineties and mid nineties, there were a lot of great drummers doing anything from hard rock to grunge, to funk, to metal. And just all of that was embraced and we would study up on it, write out the parts of certain sections and fills and, you know, even listen a lot and um, just expanded my knowledge through the drum pad. I mean, I was, that was a huge, um, you know, uh, just launch pad for me, you know, as a musician. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so that's how, where I went from there. Yeah. How, how do you think having those teachers in your life helped you be a teacher now? You're doing the lessons virtually. So how do you think that's helped you do the lessons? Um, I just try to remember where I was at that age. And I think about the age groups of the people I work with and the levels of, of playing where they're at and how they're retaining in the retaining the information, first of all. How are they going to grasp this and what, and what are their interests? You know, because what's important first is what do they enjoy doing? What do they want to learn? Um, most players I've, I tend to get are more beginner to intermediate. And you have to just find that spark, that creative spark that they're willing to, to tap into and figure out a way to get them motivated to play and practice on and work on the not so fun stuff, you know. Like, for example, you know, technical exercises, coordination exercises, um, things that build your muscle repetition as a drummer. And, um, yeah, I, I started focusing on that. And I also learned a little bit going through my schoolings, uh, you know, with some music ed, you know, not really the music education degree per se, but like um, teaching adjunct lessons uh, while I was on faculty at Elmhurst College for a brief moment, I was teaching preparatory students and learning how to like figure out how to cater to their curriculum and what they were doing. Some, some kids were trying to do it for school, learning, you know, uh, music to learn for marching band or, or any of the school bands. Some of them were not in school band and just wanting to play in a drum set in a rock band. So I had different, it just depended on the situation. And I had to learn a lot of uh, effective ways to make the, you know, material not so dry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of part of it. And it's also not really, you know, doing them justice to think that it's okay to just think it's always, you know, enjoyable either. Like if you really want to be disciplined and really want to get better, you have to, you have to do the, the things that, you know, aren't really what you're doing live and enjoying on stage. You have to get those, you got to get prepped for that. So yeah, practice hard to make it easy when you get on stage. That's the idea. For sure. You got to do the hard work behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. So sure. yeah, that's kind of my history with that. 
Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So name the first album that left an impact on your life. First album. Oh, um, I'd say the very first was a record. I mean, my parents used to play records around, you know, the house when I was really young, before I even knew what I was listening to, almost even before I knew how to speak. Um, and I mean, the police was probably the one that I heard the most, the police albums. Um, and it stuck with me the most because their music was very, it was great for a young kid to like bounce around and jump around to, you know, it was just like really sunny and like poppy and very like energetic. And they had that reggae contingent in it or the ska, right? Or, you know, punk contingent with pop music and, the, and Sting's vo uh, vocals. And it worked great, you know, um, it, it was very infectious to me. And then of course, Beatles was like, you know, the whole world to everything and you know that revolved around many generations of, of rock music you know and they were such masters and such huge influencers on anybody at any any genre or even just as, as household music would be just playing that you know most likely you were listening to Beatles or Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin all the classic rock you know legends so I would grow up listening to a lot of those albums and, you know, even some of the popular records, you know, through the eras, I mean, in the late seventies, I remember faintly, you know, hearing Fleetwood Mac, you know, and being played or Jackson Brown, um, which were all basically pop stars and with, with hits at that time. Um, and then, you know, towards the eighties, of course, the whole eighties era was huge MTV once MTV hit, you were actually watching videos and being exposed to actual bands at that mm -hmm. time. And that was a huge thing, part of my history. I mean, even like anyone from Huey Lewis to Michael Jackson, you know, to Van Halen. And you were just mm -hmm. seeing their videos and like, oh, wow, this is pretty, you know, it's pretty rad. So I got to check this out, you know. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And just the uh, theatrics of some of those videos in the 80s too. Yeah, absolutely. The, the budget on some of those. <laughs> Which makes it it's so bad, it's good, you know? It's like, that it makes it like actually a cult classic because of how bad it might have been, you know? Oh, might, absolutely. I've watched some of those old ones with my 10-year-old daughter and the look she gives me is like, Yeah, is this really? a joke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before auto-tune, you know, before all that, the fancy yeah. production. Uh, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this was real life, hon. <laughs> so talk about what drummers influenced you growing up. Well, other than the police drum, you know, drummer Stuart Copeland, uh, yeah. Led Zeppelin's John Bonham, of course, any drummer would tell you that. Um, I would say, you know, I really liked U2 growing up a lot. So Larry Mullen Jr. was actually a very good drummer. And I don't mean actually because he did the band doesn't always get recognized for the players per se. Maybe the edge is, is the most um, well-known I'd say because of his guitar tones being so, you know, um, groundbreaking and innovative, but, but as a drummer, he was very solid, Larry Mullen Jr. And uh, he had a great look, as they say in Spinal Tap, great look. <laughs> so, I don't uh, know an awful lot about him. Yeah. Um, and then, I'd, you know, I grew up listening to, um, you know, just so many different drummers. Uh, 
Jeff Percaro on all the 80s hits, you know, even like Toto. Uh, Steve, Steve Gadd was a drummer introduced to me from my teacher, Jim Strike, when I was 11, when I started needing to listen to more uh, educated type um, tastes of players. And Steve Gadd is like the blueprint for a lot of legendary drummers who's on like almost any 70s pop hit you've ever heard. Like, you know, mainly like from artists like Paul Simon, um, from uh, Steely Dan and uh, Carly Simon Records. I mean, a lot of different type of players uh, were using him as a blueprint for a long time. Um, he even played with the, the late Chick Corea, who just passed away. Um, Incredible. Yeah, so uh, I'd say, you know, those are the guys. And then um, I started listening to, um, you know, like, I'm just thinking like any pop music drummer, I didn't really pay attention to the name of the drummer, but Zorro stuck out as one guy when I grew up listening to, who was who played for a lot of big names, you know, um, and Prince was one of them, I believe. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you listen to these guys, you don't realize you're hearing them on the records too, you know, so like, I believe, you know, he played on the Michael Jackson tune, uh, Billie Jean, he's like the guy who played the groove. Okay. Um, so you're exposed to a lot of hits and pop singles and stuff growing up, mm -hmm. not realizing who, who the drummer is until you actually study them later. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I had to do a little bit of that as well. You know, once I got more into, into drumming, trying to understand where all this was coming from. For sure. I've only recently done that too, where I'll, I'll find out about someone and then thankfully for Google, you find out that they were, you know, a session player on this or they were on this album and you're like, oh, wow, like I had no idea about this person yeah. and all these things that they did. And then, you know, you also get into to music styles and you learn from your friends, you know, about certain guys, like a buddy of mine who was way into Led Zeppelin also exposed me to uh, Jimi Hendrix. And um, I listened to Mitch Mitchell through the exposure to Jimi Hendrix which immediately caught on to me is this fiery, badass, just sound of ro this rolling in rhythm, jazz and sort of rock idiom, you know, combined with some of the elements of like the, the more straight ahead, like on the grid kind of beats. It was more like had a swagger to it that, that was like the attitude of rock that I was really digging at that time. Um, so yeah, Mitch Mitchell was a big influence too. And then, I mean, there's so many, I can go on and on and on, yeah. but that was the beginning for me. And then I can't forget hard rock drummers. Alex Van Halen by far was probably the most influential in terms of hard rock bands for me to jump into that. And Tommy Aldridge was on a lot of records with uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and I listened to a lot of Ozzy growing up too. Um, and of course, Metallica at that time was a development going into metal was was not an uncommon thing um so Lars Ulrich was a was an influence and uh yeah I mean it just goes on and on and on oh yeah for sure so if you weren't in music what do you think you would be doing I'm married to music for my whole life honestly I I have no yeah. idea yeah I have no idea man I mean you know so I think that that's just really it for my answer. I don't think I could ever really Not, think yeah. of anything else I could be doing. Yeah, it makes sense. If it's just uh, what you're meant to do, then it's what you're meant to do. 
So let's talk about playing drums and singing at the same time. When did you start doing that? Um, I started playing drums and singing when I was doing, and it wasn't really intentional. It just sort of happened because it was, it was probably because we had a deadline with learning songs to play for like the local battle of the bands, you know, at a junior high school auditorium. Um, and I had to do that at that time in my age and I had to learn the other guy couldn't sing certain things cause it wasn't in his range. And I believe some of the songs were like Motley Crue songs. So they were really high in, in, in the vo vocal range, I believe. And so I had to learn those songs before I had puberty and <laughs> it worked out great. So I was like, I'm just going to try this and I'm going to sing and play. Um, and I just started from there and it just kind of, it clicked, you know, I don't know how it's just naturally sort of I was able to sync up my, my limbs with what I was singing as well. Um, and I just seemed to pick it up at a young age and I just kind of stuck with it throughout my career, uh, sing backgrounds for a lot of things throughout the hard rock bands I played with in the grunge bands and, you know, the punk bands, the ska bands, I would sing a lot of background vocals, maybe even leads on some things. Um, I was in a punk ska band called the Scalawags in, in high school and, um, Greenhouse was another ska band after that. So I did a lot of things that involved vocals because they always needed background vocalists. I mean, not a lot of people were singing and playing their instruments growing up. So yeah, I just happened to be one of those token guys that had that package going on. So that's pretty awesome. What do you, what do you think would be the hardest part? I mean, you seem to have it on lock, but what would be kind of the most difficult thing about singing and drumming at the same time? I think the rhythms and the inflections that you want to, uh, you know, properly uh, sing through a note. When you sing, it's a lot of it has to do with your your posture and your technique and how you build your your diaphragm and your you know your vocal muscles and you know all of these mechanics have to be built in like a muscle. You have to keep warming, doing warm ups and learning the the right technical things to do. And you can't be harsh on your voice at a certain point in your life, you know, and you got to keep you know, doing all the, the right things uh, to build on that. And I guess, I guess I've just, even to this day, don't feel like I've, I will, I, I like have not perfection, but like a, like an, even a very, very high level uh, um, performance, you know, of singing a part and playing it because you, <clears throat> a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> as I'm coughing. <laughs> has a lot to do with air. Makes sense. So like, you, know, you have to really build and have a lot of air in your, you know, in your chest before you sing parts and you can really belt you get like a, a full voice and you have to, you know, learn the shape of how you should, you know, shape your, your, your mouth when you're singing. And I'm doing all of these mechanics while trying to play all these other mechanics in my, my hands and feet. And it's, it's difficult to, to really do great with all of it at once. Mm -hmm. So I still, I'm still working on that. And even to this day, and that's, an, that's going to be an ongoing thing. So I think I'd say the hardest thing is for drummers is error and, and hitting the note and the pitches really precise while you're singing and, or while you're playing. Um, Cause you get winded too, <clears throat> which is why I sing a lot of, and belt out the higher notes with, with Umphreys a lot, because I was trying to sing the lower notes um, 
when you know in the earlier part of the career and i couldn't because if i was singing low and i'm playing like this you're hearing all that mm-hmm. i'm moving around trying to like keep the you know keep the pocket going and 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 singing and shaking my voice because of my my movement so when i'm really belting higher notes it's easier to do that because of the movement and i think okay. for a lot of drummers that's the same deal and then also keeping your positioning of the mic right you know if it's right here and you can you know find the right mic stand to, to be able to move it out of the way and you could do headset but we never went that route cuz i think it was just picking up on i think it had to do with picking up the drums too much um, maybe the quality of the headsets weren't the greatest, you know. So you just have to learn all those things. The things that, other than singing, <laughs> yeah, make it all work. Yeah. That's incredible. So what is one of your favorite songs that you like to play and sing at the same time? I like to sing any police songs, to be honest, because I feel natu- very natural with it. Um, but I like I singing. I agree with that. Uh, What's that? I said I would agree with that. I like it when yeah. you sing police songs. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to do more of that. But, you know, also like, um, I mean, I like doing Van Halen too. It's fun. I love getting my Dave, Diamond Dave on, David Lee Roth, you know, one of the best showmans, you know, in hard rock history. He's my favorite. Just has the attitude. He may not have been the greatest singer, but he had more of the attitude and, and singing with that kind of, uh, you know, uh, attitude or what's the word uh, charisma the confidence too yeah yeah, yeah. it's really fun um i mean there's so many different types of artists i've been fortunate enough to try to cover and sing and i've i'd like to say i've done a pretty good job of all of it you know i i've failed at some of which i won't mention but you know <laughs> that's how it goes it's hit or miss you know and you never know unless you try and exactly. try not to not try not to pay attention to the you know the haters of the trolls you know Absolutely. Because even if you crush it, there's still going to be haters and trolls. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's life. Such is life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it takes balls to even give it a shot in front of a whole bunch of people that are recording it and listening to it back. So, yes, you're here. <laughs> so, you do impressions. And I've had some uh, people ask me uh, to ask you. <laughs> no, not doing any. You don't any. have to do any. Don't do any. It's okay. <laughs> But I just want to know uh, when you started doing them and if, you know, like acting and theater was something that you were into when you were a kid. Yeah, I never did any acting or theater when I was a kid, but uh, I just love movies. I grew up a movie buff. I just love scenes from a movie and sort of just depicting them and trying to act them out. I was just a goofball, just like any other drummer, you know, um, just acting out my goof goofiness by act, uh, doing impressions. And um, I also grew up with a bunch of goofballs, you know, my neighborhood who were that way as well. One particular guy I grew up with who was just always imitating and just being a character himself and just being always like energetic in that sort of vein, just being himself alone was, you know, just, you know, and I always was around that energy growing up, a bunch of smart asses. So like, I guess, you know, doing impressions was my way of being a, a jokester or a goofball, you know, yeah. and I was good at it. I just learned how to pick up on it. Watching SNL too, growing up in the eighties, the casts oh, yeah. between the eighties and nineties were like the best, some of the best casts ever in Saturday Night Live. And um, 
seeing all of those guys do different characters and remembering those skits, that was a big influence on me as a person. So I just kind of, I've always kept that part of me um, always there. And it's fun to break the ice with an impression here and there. Unfortunately, um, I'm not, I'm very shy about it. I'm very, uh, uh, what is it? I'm a method actor. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's my excuse, I guess. But yeah, I, I do impressions when the yeah. time is right. When yeah, it's got to be it's got to be uh, spontaneous and authentic. I just yeah, it's just that that just works for me. It's hard for me to do it on the spot, and and most of my impressions are ones that like many people do anyway. So I'm sure someone else will be like, oh, I can do that better. Or, I know someone who can do it better. I just do it for me and do it for for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is the greatest piece of advice that you've ever gotten about being a touring musician? I mean, I can't remember one single greatest piece of advice. It's, I mean, it's, you remember more stories and things people say, maybe legendary artists you worked with, like just random stories. Um, as far as the things people, you know, like, like as far as uh, suge like suggestions or tips, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm quoting Red Fox, who's an actor actually, who who once told my old uh, mentor, uh, uh, who's a, who's a great sax player who passed away, Mark Colby. Um, he told me a story when Red Fox was one time behind the curtain with him, and he goes, "No matter what you do, when you're in the music business, you gotta watch your ass," <laughs> which means you just gotta basically be always looking behind your back and make sure you understand and know the business, know, you know, how to, uh, take care of your funds, you know, not, you know, you know, take responsibilities. Um, don't be, uh, complacent in any way, like, or take anything for granted. Just watch your ass, you know, all the moves that you do. I guess that's the one most basic thing that sticks to me. And then also I would say, you know, um, I think that there's a lot of artists who don't say this, but they imply the message is to uh, dare to be different. I think that a lot of older legendary acts like Umphreys McGee because of that. We are in an eclectic bunch of guys with eclectic mixes of influences and ideas. We didn't come together to make and mesh to be this one style or a particular genre. We, we are a hybrid of things. We are the greater sum of all parts and it works. Um, there's something special there and we were able to make a career out of it, a successful career with amazing fans and a, and a fan base that's been with us for so long. Um, and all of it was because we took the chance to do things our way, no matter how confusing or, or different it might've been to other people, you know, to make those, those styles mesh and we, we stuck with it and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be different. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you, you hit, you know, it's easy in this industry to like, you know, hit a, hit a wall with, you know, once in a while and just be like, what am I doing? You know, like, why can't we get a Grammy? Why can't we get a, you know, this or that awards, you know, or, or some kind of recognition because, you know, certain things weigh us down. There's a crutch. That's a label. That's, that's not doing us justice, you know, um, meaning a genre label of, of, of what we do that's literally so like narrow-minded in its scope or just small compared to what we're really got going on. And so you can't really classify what we do 
And I was frustrated with that for a long time. I admit that I was frustrated with that and um, didn't know if we needed to identify ourselves or, or define it more as I was younger. But I realized over time I was how grateful it was because legends, legendary artists we would sit in or play with would take the time to tell us you guys are doing it the right way because you didn't have to deal with all this other bullshit of the music industry that that I dealt with or we dealt with or whoever dealt with. And I don't take that for granted. So I'd say daring to be different to young artists is really the biggest key and the biggest advice I ever got from anybody, anybody for us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. So what music are you currently listening to? Currently? Um, yeah. I've been working on a jazz set uh, list for a gig that I'm doing uh, in pretty soon in Colorado, um, in, in Denver. And, uh, I've been listening to a lot of contemporary jazz artists. Um, there's a composer, um, named Chris Morrissey, who did an amazing couple of compositions with, uh, who works with Mark Giuliana and that quartet. Mark Giuliana is an amazing award-winning and just groundbreaking modern jazz drummer. And also just a beyond jazz, just like a conceptual, you know, master um he played in david bowie's last band too i believe um uh, black star that album he's on that one so like i've been listening to that i've been listening to random you know artists uh anything from like the tame impala era like like of most recent bands i've been trying to dig in on new stuff um I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of different things uh, at different times. Uh, some days I'll listen to new house music, new drum and bass music, new uh, uh, even the trap stuff, you know, the trap sort of esque style of music, break beats. Uh, and then I'll listen to Jason Isbell and folkier music, Sturgill Simpson or something like that um, on other days. Songwriting, songwriters. Um, I mean, it's I, I, I the list goes on. I, I have to. I put. I'm actually coming out with some Spotify playlists. I'm going to release to the public of what I've been doing for the last year. That's been kind of a project of mine. So, you know, I've been putting a lot together there. Yeah. That's sweet. That's awesome. I'm excited to check that out. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, how, you know, I mean, we just have to put playlists together for our day to just be our mm -hmm. our theme. You know, for the for that week for sure for sure we just have it playing that's what we do i'm homeschooling my kids so we'll just have music on during the day and do some different stuff it's interesting you brought up david bowie too because we're learning about david bowie this week in school and my daughter takes lessons with joel and oh really just talking about that same album he knew the, the bass player who played on that album so it's really funny that you brought that up too <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a common thing um, I'm thinking of the artists right now in my search tab, uh, you know, wow, I don't seem to see, I'm looking at my phone here for, for influences, but, uh, yeah, basically I could tell you, you know, like I've been listening to some female artists a lot too, cause I've been working with a couple female artists, like recording on their records and trying to get 
you know, so I've been listening to a lot of Billie Eilish, stuff like that, like more minimal. I've been listening to some more lo-fi kind of uh, production skills and things, different lo-fi artists out there. That's kind of a thing now that's really, really you know, kind of particularly popular right now. Um, uh, Charles the First is this guy who does like more, uh, you know, really like more down down tempo like kind of hip hop kind of beats, but it's more. It's hard to describe it, but it's like really amazing production, and I like his stuff. And you know, female artist uh, Solange and uh, just so many Marion Hill. I like Marion Hill a lot. Um, but then I also try to listen to the classics. I mean, shit, I've been even listening to Tom Petty Radio on on uh, XM Radio. I'm serious. And uh, I'll listen to the radio station sometimes like that. Um, I'll go between that and then like maybe, you know, uh, Alt Nation or something. Um, some of the newer alt pop stuff, though, isn't, it only hits me to a certain surface. Uh, it's hard for me to relate to the newer stuff because... I'm not taking anything away from the new artist, but the production is so perfect. It's a little too, it's a little too uh, uh, overly produced. You know, like I feel like it's something that you would have to have all on a backing track if you played live. You have yeah. to hit spacebar and play to it with a more watered down acoustic sound and play along with all these sounds. I mean, you could do that. And I even plan to do that with some Kick the Cat stuff along the way, but you can do it in a way that it doesn't completely overshadow what you're doing live. And a lot of alt pop bands sound like that to me. They sound they almost sound like they can almost literally just have tons so much back like 50-50 on the backing track and the live, you know. And that's that's too close to an equation for me to take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean I'm I'm always searching. I mean, there's even like the new, the newest, the latest Tool album that came out, I believe, last year. And I'll always listen to Tool. They're always a big part of my darker side of hard rock and stuff. And sounds are, their sounds are amazing. And Danny Carey is a big influence, um, of course, for most hard rock drummers and progressive rock drummers. So I listen to that. Um, I listen to progressive metal, um, if you want to call it that or whatever. I mean, I'll listen to, I'll go nuts and listen to Meshuga for about a week, like nonstop. And I go on this head trip, you know, listen to Meshuga or other Scandinavian metal bands. And then I'll listen to, uh, you know, there's a group called um, Intronaut, who I think is really badass, actually. And uh, there's someone worth checking out if you like that kind of music, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, the list goes on and on and on. I'm always searching for new music and, and old music as well. Nice, nice. So what would you say is the greatest live show you've ever seen? The greatest live show I've ever, I've ever seen? Yeah. Oh, that's another, that's like asking what I would be doing if I wasn't playing music. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've had, seen so many memorable shows. Um, I would say uh, if I had to choose one for all aesthetics considered and, and just experience all around, um, I saw Pink Floyd on the Division Bell Tour, 1992, at Soldier Field in Chicago. That was probably a, like a religious experience for me, and 
Uh, I'll never forget it. It was probably my most favorite concert experience I've ever had. Oh, I bet. Probably, you know, probably that one for sure. I bet. I mean, I've seen Paul McCartney live and that's, I've loved it. I saw the police live on their reunion tour at Wrigley Field and um, it was 2010, was it? Or yeah, nine or 10 or 11. Um, uh, I saw Social Distortion and the Ramones together on the same bill at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago in 1992. That was a very memorable show. Actually, that was 93. And um, I think the Melvins were on there as well. I saw them too. That was pretty badass. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, a lot of their shows are probably my favorite. But the one favorite is still Pink Floyd. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is something that you never go on tour without? Um, probably my, um, I mean, I have still, I mean, there's something I've managed to forget on, on all levels for a tour at one point or another. Uh, but my ice packs are probably the most important to me for after show. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about your post-show ritual i've heard from people that have seen you after a show you're just all iced up so talk a little bit about that yeah sure that's what i do after shows i ice down because you know playing an umphrey show is not like playing you know ho-hum pop songs you know it's like <laughs> it's a full-on acrobatic athletic event for three hours and yeah. and then to try to like have that energy it's like you know neil Peart from rush used to be like that too he would come off the stage just completely sore to the bone, bruised, black and blue, sweating, or drenched in sweat, you know, just completely just drained of all of his energy in his life because he's putting literally his whole life, like force and soul into it. That to me is what I at least adhere to. I try to uh, strive for that and I, I'm pretty tired. I'm probably more out of shape than Neil was, but because <laughs> uh, he used to ride his bike uh, at a younger part of his career a lot, you know, between his tours. And I don't mean just his motorcycle. I mean, he would ride a, like he would like 10 speed ride race, you know, like between cities, which I heard. And I think it's true. And um, I mean, playing this gig, you know, is like playing a rush gig. You know, you're doing a lot. If you just play straight ahead kind of beats, I mean, yeah, you can do that. If it, maybe it's even more appropriate for some things, but that's not what I do with this band because it the, mu the music lends itself to more progressive elements, and I think it makes all the world a difference. So if I pull it off, I have to be able to do it night to night and take care of my body. So the best way to do that is to ice down after the show, just like any athlete would after a game. Yeah, makes yeah. sense, especially when you're doing multi nights. You know, you're doing like a three night run or something. You want to make sure that you're still able to play with that same energy on night three. Yeah. As long as we're playing Wizard Burial Ground, where I'm going to have to do that every every other time. <laughs> I'll have to ice down every every night or whatever. <laughs> well, you mentioned Rush, so let's talk about what it was like to pay tribute to Neil right after he passed. You guys debuted two songs that weekend, Anthem and Limelight, which I love 
when you sing Limelight, by the way. Um, so great job on that. <laughs> but talk about what it was like paying tribute to him and him being such an influence. So what was that like? I mean, it was just exactly as it was. In fact, that was one of the guys I realized I never mentioned in my first influences for drummers. He was definitely one of them. I mean, he tends to appeal to drummers at a young age because his, his exuberance and his youthfulness and his approach to music literally catches you when your mind is literally like wide open and still unaffected by the world. And, and you're just, you know, you have infinite amount of, of, of ideas and, and energy and Rush is perfect for that, like for, for that energy and that vibe to capture someone to be progressive in their approach. And, and Neil Peart represented a lot of that. He represented like, you know, the art of playing orchestrally, um, like an, having an orchestral approach to rock patterns and, and ideas and compositions, treat them, the song as a composition, like through compose and everything um, with a, you know, an orchestral percussion um, element to it. Um, he had all those bells and whistles and he would use them why he would use them exactly on cue and, and through compose and everything he would play with multiple rack toms multiple floor toms multiple cymbals but he did it in a way that wasn't about show it was literally what he was using for each part of every song mm -hmm. and i learned that probably through him more than any other drummer that you could do that that possibility and so when I was young, when I got like 11, 11 years old, 12 years old, I was, you know, I was, it was infectious to me to listen to him and I would listen to his music regularly. Um, I had older friends who, well, and a bandmate whose older brother was a famous, was a great drummer in town and in the Palatine area and he would play Rush tunes and then I would be like, what's that? You know, and he would show me a couple things or I would listen to him play with his band. So, you know, the older generation guys too would it's one of those bands that would be passed you know passed on to the younger generations and that's what neil represents i think for drummers he's he's one of those icons in rock drumming history he's literally in the top five perhaps you know most likely you know and yeah. uh yeah that was it for me i mean ever since then i i followed their tour their tours and watched i went to their shows um, throughout most of my life, made sure I caught them, you know, for all of their tours. And I managed to catch the very last show they ever played, I believe was at the forum in LA. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to, to see that. It was amazing. Yeah. That is incredible. How lucky. Yeah. It was great. It was, yeah. it was probably one of my top five favorite shows of all time as well. Nice. nice. Yeah. So we talked about the police too, and you guys did the costume and the covers Halloween 2019. So talk about that. Was that your idea or was it a group suggestion and the ideas of the songs? Was that everybody's suggestion? It was actually Ryan's suggestion, if I recall. Um, it was his idea to do police covers in police outfits. Nice. But the, obviously the cop outfits he wanted were the ones more modeled after the the Reno 911 yeah. uh, cops and shorts look, which is yeah. more very, I mean, are you surprised? I'm not surprised. No, not surprised. 
but it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, of course, we had to grow mustaches again because Ryan loves those packs. We got to grow mustaches for this tour, that tour, <laughs> just to have an excuse to grow a mustache. So we did it. And um, it worked out great. I thought it was one of the most, probably one of the smoothest Halloweens we ever had because we've tried to tackle so many mashup compositions for so many years with mashup costumes and just just madness you know you're you're just mashed up in your brain you know all for a week and you're rehearsing like for hours you know for for days like hardcore rehearsals and then the show and you know by the time it's over you're just so exhausted so uh i think we needed to find a new just a new direction a new thing and um the police uh, covers with the in the police outfits I thought was good. It was great. I mean, I agree. Play, playing police songs is like what comes naturally for us because we all grew up listening to the police. So that worked out. I agree. I was thrilled. I was hearing some rumors before that that's what you guys were going to do. And then when that's what actually happened, I was so excited, mm -hmm. especially that synchronicity yeah. too. I was like, oh, I've wanted them to cover this song forever. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool that you know of that one. Yeah, I mean, such a yeah, great tune. We, I thought we chose the right tunes. I agree. Oh. I agree. Definitely. Um, of course, I have to talk about Phil Collins. Phil Collins was my one of my parents in Genesis, my parents' favorite band and artist. So I was raised on them. So cool. Were, was Phil Collins an influence on you? And talk about that. Sure. Phil Collins was definitely an influence on me. Absolutely. And, and not even really intentionally, um, both unintentionally and intentionally. There were times where I was just finding myself hearing him on the radio in like the 80s, you know, his voice and his drumming. And that's becoming a part of you as you're growing up and listening to music. And that's stuck with you so that when you think of ideas, it's coming from something. And that I, I definitely owe a great deal to Phil Collins for that. Um, then when I actually started paying attention to him as an artist and listening to him, I was introduced as a drummer in the drummer community, hearing compilations of, of little things, even on vinyl, like hearing him playing with Chester Thompson, who was a great drummer as well, uh, with even Frank Zappa and also worked with Phil Collins. Um, and they did a drum duet a couple times live together. So I would remember hearing some of those recordings and then I would hear Phil playing um, just as his solo album. And then I heard him with Genesis on reunions and stuff. Didn't happen too often. Um, I don't even remember what years, but um, I did happen to see the Genesis reunion to, um, at uh, the uh, Chicago Stadium, United, United Center, United Center. Um, I can't remember what year. But uh, yes, uh, Phil Collins is a big influence. I mean, Peter Gabriel, to me, was a little bit more of an influence on me in terms of production. Uh, his drumming, his, the drumming on his solo albums stuck with me the most because during that time, Phil had moved into doing ballads, you know, and writing more ballads and you know, stuff like that after the 80s era. And, uh, you know, uh, Peter Gabriel was still doing literally just some monumental stuff, you know, bringing world music at a, at a whole other level, like African rhythms of different 
tribes and regions and ethnic, you know, ethnic kind of percussion into his, his songwriting. And it was literally a staple for me. Um, so Peter Gabriel was maybe a little more of an influence, but Phil Collins was most definitely an influence. That's very cool. Especially as drummer singers, you know, go Phil is the guy. Everyone thinks of him yeah. probably more than any drummer in history, which is kind of funny because there were a lot of drummer singers. I mean, Levon Helm was a fantastic singer, great singer, mm -hmm. like in American music, you know, mm -hmm. but played very simple beats, but the, played exactly what the song needed. And it, just felt, it felt comfortable, felt right. Um, Phil did the same thing, but he was more of that 80s, like just, you know, snappy, the slap of the drum, you can get that roomy sound and just, it was like, you know, it was almost like, uh, you know, big kahuna drums, just like, go, go, boom, boom, boom. Oh, just yeah. Like, like, it's just, just massiveness. Like you're hearing a, like a, like a 300 pound gorilla playing those grooves, you know? For and sure. He's singing, singing, you know, like slick. Miami Vice-esque kind of uh, songs in slick Miami Vice-esque outfits. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Although some people I saw were definitely talking about your jazzy shirts that you were wearing during the stream, so. Yeah, apparently, yeah. I knew that would pick up some commotion, for better or worse. Uh, First of all, it's not a Hawaiian shirt to all my close friends who like to bust my chops. <laughs> completely the opposite of a Hawaiian shirt. Um, and I like to, you know, wear these shirts because they're comfortable. Um, I can't wear long sleeve shirts too often or even coats or even like anything denim uh, because it's too thick of a material and I sweat my ass off when I play. So yeah. I'll be drenched. It's yeah. a waste of time. So yeah, you I gotta, gotta be comfortable. Yeah, and I'm not gonna wear like some athletic, you know, you know, North Face shirt or something like that. I, I don't need to, you know, you gotta wear some kind of stylish shirt, um, somehow. For so sure. it's tricky. Uh, <laughs> do what we can. Nice. So talk about the opportunity of playing with Jason Bonham. I mean, it's. Again, it's one for the ages. It's it's one for me that I'll 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 be completely like you know I'm 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 completely grateful for it you know for the rest of my life. I I'm, I'm speechless even saying it. I can't even describe it. Yeah, um, I bet. But what was so cool about it is it, it went seamlessly well because he's such a cool guy. He's so down to earth, Jason, and he he immediately made us feel comfortable right away. He's cracking jokes. He's like everything that you would want to have in the qualities of a, of, a, of, a, of a guest that you're collaborating with, or even just someone you're looking up to that you want to meet. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I looked up to him and I still do. And um, I, was, I was very grateful to, to have played with him. Hopefully we'll get to do it again. Um, yeah. Playing with him is like playing with, you know, a rock giant or idol like in the rock in the drumming chair you know but he's he's also a team player and will work with you and um work and you know collaborate really collaborate the right way and he's he's developed quite a career of his own over the years and people can't forget that they always think of the name you know of royalty like like his his dad and then he's he's not by any means in the shadow of his dad he's doing his own thing 
and he's doing, he's crushing it. Mm-hmm. He plays with Sammy Hagar and a lot of other projects with various artists like that. And that band is killing. Sammy sounds amazing still. His voice is great. And these guys are still doing it. And uh, Jason um, still has exactly the vintage and staple, you know, John Bonham sound. He's basically the ghost of John Bonham when he wants to be. And um, I'm just grateful to have played next to him and have that energy when we did it. Yeah. The huge drums, you know, the sounds of his Vista lights and the, you know, the kid is sounding just like you heard it on like the song remains the same, the video, you know, the live recordings and uh, it's just a trip. So, yeah. but he's, he's hilarious. He's a, he's a typical drummer. He likes fast cars and, you know, but he's, he's a healthy guy these days and he's, he, he's an influence on me. I think we're Fitbit buddies on our Fitbit. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, he'll hit me up and nudge me once in a while. Be like, you know, notice I'm not doing enough steps. Nice. Cause he's always crushing me every week. Apparently. <laughs> it's nice to have that motivation. Yeah. Accountability buddies are important. <laughs> yeah. So, nice. That was great. It was, it was amazing to play with him. I bet. I bet that was I. My only trip to Red Rocks was. Oh, okay. Yeah, really? 2019 when uh, he played that set with you guys. So I was really glad that we were able to make that trip happen, anyways. But especially to catch that that set because yeah. it was really awesome. That was a good one. That was one yeah. of my favorites. And. Uh, um, James Dillon, the singer that's normally in his band, did a fantastic job. He just crushed it. Yeah, that was incredible. Consummate gentleman and professional, and it was great to work with him. Yeah, awesome. So obviously, I, I'm sure we we brought up Zappa, of course, as an influence. Um, so what was it like having Ike Willis sit, sit in with you guys last February? Oh, it's just, it's another one to check off the list, and, and, and you're just, you know, you're just like it's like a dream of you know of of cast of artists you grew up listening to and now they're you're able to play with them. I mean, um, it's great. You know, he's he's cool as hell. It's very cool. He would go with the way we would do learn things because it's not always exactly how things would go with him, with with the way maybe the way he did it with Frank or the way Frank did it. Um, but we do our best, and in the spirit of it, he he rolls with it and he comes up there and just fits right in like one of the boys, you know, and that's the way it was with Ike. It was great. Um, he's got all kinds of stories. He's hilarious. You know, he's still witty and charming and, you know, really fun. Really enjoyed it. Ike was great. Nice. So Mm -hmm. who would you love to have sit in with Humphreys? A lot of different options. I've thought about that. I mean, Honestly, I think more in these days, importantly, about what Humphreys is doing as a band. The originals were playing, not the covers were playing, not the artists that are sitting in. I know that the fans like that, but and, and will continue to do that. Right. But as an artist, personally in the band, I think more about our music and where we're going to go from here, how we're going to keep, you know, keep doing our best to, to grow and keep, you know, giving good music that we can produce for people. Um, but if I, if I had to think of that, I mean, it, it would be some, I don't know, it could be anybody like there's a few, I mean, I, I would like honestly to hear a great pop singer or somebody who's a songwriter who would fit the bill with us, I think, well, and it's an amazing guitar player and it would work great with all, I think everybody all around. I think John Mayer would be a great choice for sit-in. I would be completely, uh, 
blown away by that, you know, so uh, that would be amazing. Uh, maybe, you know, of course, anybody from, you know, uh, from the from the jam world, like if I had to choose, you know, and, and who are icons like Trey would be great. Um, I mean, that's been there's been a, I mean, there's a lot of artists, even in the hard rock world, and the grunge world. I'd love to have like maybe Dave Grohl, you know, um, yeah. Tom Morello has become a friend um, through charity works and stuff. We've worked together. I'd like to have him sit in with us, you know, and we don't have to do a rage tune. You know, we can do something else. Um, I've I've found it was really fun to have Jimmy Chamberlain when he sat in with us with the pumpkins from the pumpkins. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a fun experience. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's I think those are some names to start with. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So talk about playing with Marcus Rezac. When did you guys start collaborating together? And I believe you guys are doing something in Denver soon. Uh, yeah, we're playing um, at Cervantes on uh, March the 12th. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun week. We're working on some new music and, and some old, some new, new ones and old ones, some, some classics. Nice. The Mark Rezac, class, Rezac classics. Nice. So what is a favorite Umphreys memory? Um, fa favorite memory? <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Uh, probably playing some really, I think playing Abbey Road, honestly, was a great memory. It was a full day. We did 10 songs in a row. We played for about 14 hours straight, it was ridiculous. But we didn't want to stop. We didn't want that moment to stop. I mean, we just were in awe, you know, of being there. And it was just, it was good vibes. It was very serendipitous for us. So yeah, probably, probably uh, Abbey Road. And um, any of the Red Rock, particular Red Rock shows are always fun to remember. Um, playing, um, I think Rothbury was one of my favorite shows I ever played, which became Electric Forest. And that was 2009. That particular year was a, just, just something about the, something in the air. It was just some magic going on uh, at that particular year for us and for, you know, for that festival. Those are probably some particular notables right there. I've heard that about Rothbury, though. I, I heard it's the forest, though. Oh yeah, of course everyone said that. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the festival grounds in, a, in, a, in, a, in its own right are like, you know, it's really dense forest in the summer. So it's, the air is really, you know, feels clean and it's fresh. It feels like you, you know, fresh feeling being in that on the festival grounds there. And um, things are so well done by the, you know, the event coordinators there and the, pe the artists, the people in the Burning Man community come together and do you know work their magic and do their amazing you know designs of anything from decor of lighting to you know unique stage setups or collages or even you know any kind of artistic uh, sculptures and things that's all a part of the the whole experience and um that all is just makes for an amazing an amazing weekend a place an amazing place for for uh, shows for sure, for sure. 
So when you can finally start regularly playing shows again, what is a bucket list place that you would like to play with Humphreys McGee? Um, I'd probably say the Gorge. We haven't played the Gorge yet. If we could ever play there someday. You could definitely would... social distance there now. <laughs> There's plenty of room for everybody. <laughs> Maybe that will be our, our way in on it. I don't know. Um, Maybe. Yeah, the Gorge would be amazing. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of other op options and stuff, but yeah, I'd say that one for sure. That's a, that's a definitely a one to go for. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's everything. We went through so many questions. Thank you for humoring me yeah. and <laughs> answering everything. <laughs> oh, that was my pleasure, Sarah. Yeah, I appreciate it. I hope that, uh, you know, got your questions answered. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else, maybe some other things that you have in the works that I didn't cover that you wanted to shout out or maybe mention? I mean, not really. Uh, if anything, kick the cat. My uh, newly found project uh, will be coming out with a new record in June. So stay tuned for that, as well as some singles coming up. And um, it's going to be an exciting new launch in a new year for that new project, a newly found one. So I'm just pushing on that one. So nice. check it out. All right. So that's everything awesome. for this week of the show. Thank you again to Chris for taking the time. It was such a pleasure getting to chat with you. There are a bunch of links in the show notes for anything that Chris or I may have mentioned in our chat and all of the stuff I mentioned at the top of the show that would be there as well. Also tucked inside the show notes, you'll find links where you can binge on past episodes, like all my past interviews with the other members of Umphreys McGee. You'll also find the information for how you can book a conversation and be a guest on the show. Snag some of the just-released merch, the recent and past issues of Conduit from the official DATC store on Etsy. Get on there and check out those new shirts if you haven't. Uh, there's two new uh, shirts with new logos and color styles and everything. So if you didn't hear about those, go on to Etsy and check those out. You'll also find links for where you can get yourself a subscription to Conduit Magazine. Check out the new Dropped Among This Crowd media website and a shit ton more. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.